to Joshua chapter 8. We're completing this chapter today. It's at the end, beginning in verse 30. Before we go to the word of the Lord, let's go to the Lord of his word. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time where we'll come together and sit under the word preached, that we're able to hear um, you speak to us. And pray that as I, I seek to expound the message from you to us, that it is from you, and that we would hear it, be transformed by it, that we would take it seriously, and that we would give um, firm attention to these things as, as it would apply to our hearts. And we pray into our world, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So beginning in Joshua chapter 8, beginning in verse 30. <clears throat> At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native born with their elders and officers and their judges stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. The word of the Lord. So just so we know where we are in redemptive history here, uh, we see that Israel's entered the promised land, that God uh, parted the waters of the Jordan River so that they could pass through on dry land, the same way that he um, parted the waters of the Red Sea so that they could pass over on dry land as they were escaping um, from Egypt, this previous generation. And then God uh, has miraculously defeated Jericho. The walls came tumbling down, um, so they have experienced that. And then because of sin in the camp, they lost the battle uh, to take the city of Ai. And God reveals this to them. They offered sacrifices. The offender is put to death. And that sin has been atoned for. Israel has been mercifully forgiven. And now they're able to go on and they defeat the city of Ai um, following the plan of the Lord. So because of their um, forgiveness and their obedience which is based on their faith and love for God, they've been able to um, defeat the city of Ai because of the help of the Lord. And so now um, it's been noted as you just read through the account that it seems like a break in everything. You have these battles and all these things are happening and then this covenant renewal ceremony, you know, which can be like, all right, well, that sounds rather, can we skip this and get back to the, to the real story? But this is the heart of the story. This is, this is a worship of God. And what we're going to see, hopefully, when I 
get from this is that you know, as we look through this, all the battles, the physical battles, they're all spiritual battles. It's the same truth in our lives. The, the physical battles, the emotional battles, they're all spiritual battles. They're, they're, they are faith fights. They're faith battles. What do you believe? Why do you believe it? How are you going to respond to it? What are you going to do? What do you think God's up to? Are you going to go to the Word of God? Are you going to go away from the Word of God? Are you going to be you know, running from Him or running to Him? Are you going to make reconciliation with those around you as He tells us to? Or are we going to push people away? It's all of these things. You know, where is your heart is what God is after in these things. And at the heart of our lives, because this stuff is given to us, the New Testament says, for our example, so that we might see the way God works in these things. And at the very heart of this is worship. And at the heart of worship is God. And at the heart of the worship of God is covenant. <laughs> and it's like, okay, you got a little, that becomes technical. You go from emotion to technical. But the technical is God condescending, stooping down to make promises with us that he guarantees by his own self, that he guarantees by his own word that he will bring these things about. The promises of God will bring about the things that he has promised to do and all the promises of God are found, yes and amen, in Jesus Christ. And so they have what's called here in the little, their, our Bible um, Publishers put Joshua renews the covenant at the top of mind, so it's not original to the text, but they're describing what's happening here. So you have this covenant renewal ceremony. So there have been promises that have been made, and now you're going to come back and remember those promises. And God does this, and a covenantal remembrance is different than, oh, I forgot about something. Thank you for reminding me of this. It's like in your marriage. You're not going to think, oh, I forgot I was married. Thank you for reminding me of this. You know, your ring isn't supposed to be there just in case you forget that you're married. But in case you forget the way that sometimes we forget, you know, it's like you didn't forget. You just acted like you weren't married. Things like that. So it's a similar thing with the Lord's Supper. It's not in case you forgot what the Lord has done, but, but him saying again, let me again communicate to you that I have done these things, a covenantal remembrance. The rainbow, so we saw a beautiful rainbow this weekend. I don't know if you guys saw it, but it was just a big thing. It's just like, it's unusual. It's like the Northern Lights. I've never seen them, but it's like, this is just, it's amazing. And God says, when he sees the rainbow, he remembers his covenant. So I, I picture God in heaven seeing the rainbow and him like, oh, you know, I forgot that I said I would never destroy the world with the flood for. Thank me that I put the rainbow there so that I might not forget that I made this promise. And so obviously that's not what it's about. It is saying that you will know that I am revisiting my covenant. Every time it rains, every time there's this moisture in the air, every time you see this rainbow, which is a battle bow pointed up to the heavens, which is basically saying that I will be undone. God saying I will be undone if I break my promises. And I promise that I will not destroy the world with flood, that the world will continue springtime and harvest until the last day when new heavens and new earth come in. But God is all about his promises and knowing that he remembers the promises, and particularly here that he made to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, and that we are to remember these promises that are, are ours in Christ Jesus. 
they're going to make a difference. They're going to make a difference in the battles we fight. They're going to make a difference in the way we love and the way because Satan is going to come in and question these promises. Satan is going to come in. The world is going to come in and question these promises. Your own flesh is going to come up with things that are going to question these promises. And then you at that point have to say, I am trusting not in my feelings or what I see. I walk by faith, not by sight that God has promised he will bring it about. And that's what happens here is worship so that the worship of God is central to the church and we are the church. So the worship of God is central to the believer's life. Now, not to take too much of a rabbit trail here, but can't I worship God on the golf course? Can't I worship God on the fishing boat? Can't I worship God those are the only two places we worship God. While I'm watching the Super Bowl, can't I do these things? And it's like, yeah. But what they want to add to that is, instead of going to church. It's like somebody saying, um, do I have to obey the law in order to be saved? It's like, do I have to be good in order to be saved? Do I have to love the Lord in order to be saved? Do I have to follow Christ in order to be saved? Do I have to love other people in order to be saved? Do I have to, you know, can't I just live my life the way I want to without any thought to God at all and still be saved? I mean, let's carry these things to their natural conclusions. God saves us by giving us a new heart. And what he tells us in the Lord's Supper that we're going to partake in today is, you don't eat once and walk away. You don't get your get-out-of-hell-free card and you walk away. You don't walk down the aisle, make a profession of faith, do whatever it is, pray your prayer, and then you go on with your life, and that's it. It is a continued feeding upon Jesus Christ. And this is what's amazing about this. The baptism, just one time, one time. But the Lord's Supper, as often as you eat it, often as you eat it, it's repeated, it's repeated. It, it, it's just, and it's, how interesting, it's like food. It's, you don't eat one time. I mean, you might say, oh my goodness, I'm never eating again. You know, liar. <laughs> You know, if, if the right thing's put in front of you, you're going to eat it right then. You know, it's just, it's, that's the way it is. So if the, this is the right thing for you. This is nature. Goes after nourishment. It, it, it has to. So if we don't feel the need for this, there's something wrong with our bodies, our souls, our spirit. And what Joshua and God is reminding Israel is, you fought battles and you've won. You've come out of slavery, and that's great. You're my people. You've been circumcised. You have these promises, and that's great. But you need to remember who I am, and you need to remember that I am at the center of everything that we do. And so they find themselves here. They go from, from um, I, which is, and I can't remember, I wrote it down. I can't remember how many miles it is, but they go from, from, um, from I, they go... Um, this is why I got to write geography. It was my worst class in school. But they go to this place called Shechem. That's between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Um, it's, it's out of the way. And they go there intentionally to do this because God has told them to do this thing. Um, and what we see is in Genesis 12, 7, that it is at this very place that the Lord appeared to Abram and said, 
to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So that's where they are. Back some 430 plus years ago, God met at that place with Abram and said, this is the land I'm going to give you to, pe to people that are going to be you know, as multitudinous as the, the, the sands on the sea and the stars in the sky. And, and here's the people all gathered together and they're all in that place. And he's saying, remember, this was promised and this is the fulfilling of this promise. And so the big point is God keeps his promises. And it's kind of a big point that kind of calls for an amen. God keeps his promises. Amen? Amen. amen. And you got to remember that, that God keeps his promises. And then the next question is, what has God promised? Because we have to be very careful that we don't think, well, God has promised me that I'm going to be rich. God has promised me that I'm going to be healthy. God has promised me that, you know, all these things. Is that, has God really promised that? You know, what has God promised? And there are great promises of God. And Israel didn't just think up on their own how to worship God. They worshiped as they were told to by God. This isn't something Joshua said, you know what we need to do? We need to have this service. We need to get everybody together. And we need to go back to where Abraham was. And we need to do this covenant renewal ceremony. So everybody can kind of like um, get a, a sense for it. And everybody gets around Joshua and they say, Joshua, that's genius. That's why you're the leader, man. You think of these awesome things. And this is really going to get the people inspired. Um, and maybe it will. And maybe that's the reason for it. But it wasn't Joshua who came up with the idea it was it was God who years ago had told them that you're going to do this so keep your place go to Deuteronomy chapter 11 it's just back a few pages Deuteronomy chapter 11 beginning in verse 13 so Deuteronomy 11 13 we read um this is God speaking to Moses, the people of Israel, and he says, um, And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and your soul. And so this is central, that it's the love. So he's going to give them rules and laws, but it's all based on love. So you even what we're going to see here is you could obey the the legal requirements of the law and have not love and you're not in obedience to God. And this is part of the problem that Israel finds themselves years down the road. Um, people whose heart are far from God, but they're obeying God. It's kind of an interesting thought if you think about it. You know, most of the time we don't obey God because we don't love him. But it's also possible not to love God, and but to really try to be obedient to the law, however you perceive it. I'm trying to do my best, and you have to be careful with your children um, that you do that with them. You know, I don't care um, where your heart is. I just want you to do good. And of course, we want people to do good. But at the same time, um, it, it's the heart. You can have a house that you're working on, and you get it all painted up and fixed up, but. You know, goodness, hate to bring up a fire, but there it was, yeah, Renee, praying for you today, you know, I heard the building that they work in is, has, was burned today and another one. Um, so, you know, it, 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 you can go out there and paint it 
but if it burns down, and that's the things about our, our lives. You know, you can you can have a house and paint it, but the internal wiring, if there's something wrong with it, I'm not saying I have no idea what caused this, but you know, it's it's this it's, it's a problem. It's our hearts are an issue, and this is what God is telling them. Also, just while I'm thinking about it, as I, we approach, you know, Almarl is kind of on a on a hill sort of thing, and the sermon today is about, you know, the, we're in the valley between two mountains. One's the mountain of blessing, the other's the mountain of cursings. And on top of the mountain of cursings is where they put the, um, the sacrifice, and they're burning these things. And, and as they're looking at the mountain of, of cursing, there's, there's smoke arising. So as you come up the mountain, you see where there's smoke arising over here, and it's like, you know, so this is where my mind is this morning. It's already new to expect it. You know, we do have the internet web now. And so, um, you know, there it was. But it's like there's a mountain of smoke coming off the top of it. And so as the people looked at the, the, the cursing, um, they would see the smoke, which is either going to be the smoke of their own bodies or the smoke of the sacrifice of God that goes up in our place. And so again, Deuteronomy eleven thirteen, he says, If you will indeed obey my commandments that I commanded you, to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil, and he will give grass in your fields for your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. Take care, lest your heart be deceived. Okay, again, your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Now that's the heart of all this. Don't miss it when he starts getting into details of behavior because those things are just indications of where your heart has gone and who you're worshiping. The anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so there will be no rain and the land will yield no fruit and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. Again, see, reiterate it. These words go in your heart and they go in your soul. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall, and they shall be as a sign on your hand. You shall teach them to your children. Taking, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. For if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways, and holding fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourselves. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness of Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, to the western sea. No one shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you on the land that you shall tread. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. And when the Lord God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not beyond the Jordan? Again, forgetting, that's where we are in Joshua. That's exactly where they are. 
Are they not beyond the Jordan, west of the road, toward the going down of the sun in the land of the Canaanites who live in the Arabah, opposite Gilgal, beside the Oak of Morah? For you are to cross over the Jordan to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And when you possess it and live in it, you shall be careful to do all the statutes and the rules that I am setting before you today. So then if you stay in Deuteronomy and you go to chapter 26, beginning in verse... Deuteronomy 27, there we go. Verse 1, Deuteronomy 27, 1. Now Moses and the people of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep the whole commandment that I command you today, and on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster, and you shall write on them all the words of this law when you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord your God of your followers has promised you. And when you have crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I command you today on Mount Ebal, and you shall plaster them with plaster, and there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones, and you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God, and you shall sacrifice peace offerings, and shall eat there, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, and you shall write on the stones all the words of this law very plainly. That's what he's doing. He's doing exactly what he was told to do, and here they are doing it. It is very edifying just to sit and read this stuff. We don't have much time, so let me take some, some highlights here in verse 9. Um, then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, Keep silence and hear, O Israel, this day you have become the people of the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. That day Moses charged the people, saying, When you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall declare to all the men of Israel in a loud voice. And this is where they are. The Ark of God and the Levites are in the valley. On one side, the half of the tribes next to Mount Gerizim and over Mount Ebal are the other half of the tribes. And they're calling out these things. Verse 15, Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of craftsmen, and sets it in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. And it just goes on. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father and his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Now just, if, you know, I, I highly advise you just to read through you know, this in Deuteronomy in, in, in 28 and read the, the cursings that just go on and on and on. But here's the thing. What if this is our worship service? And we say, Cursed by God be everyone who dishonors his mother and father 
And all God's people said, and you shout out, Amen, you are condemning yourself, you are condemning yourself, you are condemning yourself, because we all fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. And it's not the only commandment. And he goes through in these chapters in Deuteronomy and just starts to expound the law, the law, the law, the law. You will obey, you will obey, you will obey. And if you obey, there's great blessing. And if you disobey, there's great curse. And what you'll see from prosperity preachers today is they'll typically go and they hear lots of Old Testament promises. But they use New Testament timelines and they mix these things so that the this was not the way that Israel was going to achieve salvation. This was not the way that Israel was going to get in good with God. This isn't the way that they were going to reverse the curse of the fall and suddenly be declared righteous. This is already God's people. They were already delivered from slavery. I am your God. Then he gives them the Ten Commandments. So what's the purpose of the law in the Old Testament with the Mosaic stuff with the stuff of Moses that we're looking at the nation of Israel why all the blessings for doing good and then so we look at that and we say well, I'm trying to do good I should have more blessings or we see all the bad things that seem to be happening we're like obviously I'm being cursed and so we examine by sight everything that happens in our lives and we say it must be an indication of how good I'm doing because if I were doing better better things would happen God's word says so if this is a drought, it's because of sin. If we have great abundance, it's because of um, we're doing good. And we'll do that. And, that's, and it's, it's, it's uh, American popular religious theology. You know, America, America. God sh shined his grace on thee. And indeed he did. But if you're going to call it grace, then don't say it's because we are a Christian nation. Don't say it's because we've done something better than other nations. Um, Prosperity can be a, a soft curse on people. You know, what are you doing with it? Are you worshiping the Lord with it? Um, you have to be very careful about these things because God was doing something different with the nation of Israel. Um, he was not telling them, this is how you're saved. They had the Abrahamic covenant for that. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteous. And then through circumcision, the promise to the people of Israel is believe and that is your righteousness. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to go in. We're going to take the promised land. You got the Ark of the Covenant. You got the nation of Israel. We are going to go in. And then you're going to be a blessing to all the nations. But you're going to have to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're going to have to follow me perfectly. Because if you don't, I'm going to have to punish you. And so... They go in, and we see played out clearly for us through the span of history the fact that Israel again and again failed. That they get King Saul, failure. And they get King David, man after God's own heart. And he fails. But he's forgiven. And then there's Solomon. And there's a divided kingdom. And then there's the northern kingdom carried into captivity, the southern kingdom carried into captivity. It's, it's a failure. But not in God's eyes, because God's at work demonstrating something. And what he's demonstrating is, um, you can't do it. You can't do it. That does require a king. And that Jesus will be a descendant of David and he will be the king. But it takes a people who 
who are in, filled with the Holy Spirit, the people who the love of God will be something that's, that's given to us, a righteousness that we don't earn for ourselves because we'll lose it. John Owen, Puritan writer, said, if there's anything I can do to lose my salvation, I'll do it before the day is over. And he also said, even our tears of repentance have to be washed by the blood of Christ. So we cannot earn our salvation by doing good. And we have these curses, all these curses. If you look through them, they're really quite remarkable. And then you go to the gospel, Matthew chapter 5. We worked on memorizing this at one point. The Beatitudes, where Jesus is standing for the people of God. And he's saying to them, in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are pers per persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And he goes on. It's the blessings of God. And we get all the riches of these things in heaven. And then finally, Romans chapter 3. Verse 21, Romans 3, 21. So our problem is righteousness. We don't have righteousness. We sinned in Adam, then therefore we deserve curses. And yet we get blessing if you're in Christ for those who believe in him. So Romans 3, 21, we read this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. That means the, 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 the Greek word is actually, it could be directly translated as dikaiosene, which means unrighteousified. Okay? It means you've been declared righteous. You've been righteousified. You've been given righteousness, declared righteous. You are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. There's a big word. And all that means is a, um, a sacrificial sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice. Instead of us being punished, Jesus is punished. The wrath of God going to him instead of to us. And that's what Jesus does, bears our curse. He becomes the curse on the cross, that the blessings of God are ours in Christ Jesus. This is what Jesus has done. The curse, the curse, the curse is, is upon us. But if you do good, you'll be blessed, but we don't do good. All have fallen short. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And then Israel tried to pursue the law as it was based on works and not by faith. So that what they should have done was confess before God... <laughs> Help us to love you. We can't do this. Amen. We have to do it. We acknowledge that. Thank you for the sacrifices. David, the King David in Psalms says, if sacrifices you wanted, that's what I would give, but the sacrifices of God are 
or a, a, a clean heart, or, or, or um, a broken and contrite heart. Thank you. That's the sacrifice of God. It's a heart. It's about love. It's about where, 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 where are your affections placed. And what he's going to tell us now is, well, let me con- continue with this right here for just a moment. To the redemption that's ours, he put forth Jesus as a propitiation in his blood to be received by faith. This was to show that God, to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance and his patience with us, he's passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier, so that he might be right and the righteousifier. See, it doesn't sound right in English. That's why they say justify. But you've been given righteousness. You've been declared righteous because he is righteous. And he is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And this is what the, the Lord's Supper is about. This is what he's to remind us about today. And he says to the nation of Israel, and this is on the screen, Deuteronomy 30, 19 through 20. He said, I call heaven and earth to be witness against you today. That I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring might live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that we would say that Christ has given us and promised by his word. So when you come to this table and eat this bread, take this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death, our need for it, his death in our place, the perfect holy Christ for the sinful, shameful, impure us, and that without faith, you're drinking condemnation to yourself. And so you have to think before you participate, am I in the faith? Do I truly believe in the promises of God? Do I follow Jesus? Do I proclaim his death even with my life? And he says, come, all who are weary, all who are heavy burdened, let go of your self-righteousness and cling to your righteous Savior. And that's hard for us. He says, choose life. And then we can say, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved, and each of you should be able to say this, who loved me and gave himself for me. He's demonstrating here that he loves us and he has given his life for us. And you partake as a part of the body. What we have to recognize is, one, do I love the body too? And secondly, and just as importantly is, does he love me? Do I love him? Do I acknowledge my need for this? And it's a frightful thing to acknowledge your need 
and the death of the Son of God himself for our sin and you not to think you need it and to sit and drink and eat as if it's a solemn thing and you don't even have it. So this is supposed to accomplish two things. It's supposed to, one, remind you of the great promises of God that he's ours. But it's also to make you think, do I still believe? I want to remember his covenant. Am I in it? Do I really believe? Now, your sin will tell you you're not. And so if you have unrepentant sin, as they say, if you have sin that you, you know, you're, you're clinging to, but you're a believer and you, you want the Lord, you need this forgiveness and you recognize these things, come to the table. This is where we get grace. This is where um, we're reminded that he's ours. And so he loves us and preach the gospel to yourself. And then we're strengthened to have maybe to kill death, to kill sin even more so that we can see with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ and he with me. Don't excommunicate yourself from the table today because you think you're not worthy. If you think you're worthy, don't come. In Christ, we're worthy. And that's it. That's the gospel. I set before you life and death. Choose life that you might live. In the life I live in the body, I live by faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we come to your table. We pray that we would remember and we would proclaim your death in our place. We deserved it. We deserve it. You did not. Our sin put you there, but it was your love for us that kept you there. And you died for us. And you now give yourself to us. And we thank you and pray this in Christ's name. Amen.